inhub.com forward slash giving. Once again, thank you so much for joining today. Remember, we are a church extending hope and wholeness. If you're glad you're not Job, let me hear your hands. Good to see you this morning. Um, have some special friends as guests this morning. Tom and Rhonda Poole, pastor of Heart of Worship in Linville. And honored you'd be with us this morning. Would you stand so we can just give you a big welcome? Give them a big brilliant welcome this morning. Glad you're here. Good friends for a long time. It was an honor when people joined with us. Couple of announcements this Wednesday is water baptismal service, and so we have a grand celebration here. When that happens, you need to come and get saved all over again. Hallelujah. Come and join us for that. We'll have a great time on Wednesday. And then I don't take a lot of time with this, but we just had an impasse at New Life Center that I'd like you to pray about. You know that we've invested Pastor Luis and Savannah as site pastors on Sunday. We're trying to make some progress, and it is still two steps forward, one and a half steps backward, trying to get it back on its feet. And um, there are two buildings there, the new building and the old building. The old building is a school where Governor Ray went to school. I think he should kind of, his estate should rebuild that, I think. How many think that'd be a good idea? But since that's not going to happen, there's a boiler that heats that building, and the boiler quit. Just to replace a boiler is 130000 and then they'd have to take the roof off the building and put it in by a crane and... All the pipes are insulated with asbestos. We're talking about a serious issue to have to deal with. So we thought, let's just winterize it, not worry about it, and uh, found out that the main water supply is in the old building. So we're kind of stuck. And so if you have half a million dollars laying around that you'd like to donate to New Life Center, I would appreciate that. 
or if you know somebody that might have an answer, here's what I believe. I believe that God always has a solution for our dilemma, and I believe that God always has the people we need for the ministry he's called us to. So I'm asking you to pray, and if you know of something, have an idea, please let me know, uh, because I'm rarely out of options. I'm out of options, but God isn't. How many are glad for that? All right, well, that went over really well. We're continuing our series on the problem of evil. How do you reconcile a theodicy? How do you reconcile a good God with all the evil that happens in the world? Why does God allow evil? If God is so powerful, why doesn't he stop evil from happening? And it's one of the issues that's causing people to walk away from their faith today in a process called deconversion or exvangelicalism, having an impossible in their minds reconciliation of those concepts. So we're exploring how do we do that. In the first week, we talked about justice. Why do righteous get what the unrighteous deserve, and why do the unrighteous get what the righteous deserve? And came to the understanding that none of us want to live in a transactional relationship with God. Because if we all get what we deserve, come on, help me this morning. If we all get what we deserve, we're all doomed. Last week, we talked about justice, or I mean, we talked about the nature of free will a gift that we've been given that we're accountable for. And you can't blame God for not doing what he told us to do. The first command after the flood was if a man sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. And if you're going to point the finger at why evil is allowed in our world, we have to look in the mirror. Because our job is to take the good news to the whole world and see the gospel change their lives. Are you with me this morning? I know it's August, but we can still enjoy church together, right? We can still do that. So this morning, I want to talk about another concept that comes right in line with that, and that's the idea of sowing and reaping. I believe in the law of sowing and reaping. It says in Galatians chapter 6, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in well-doing, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who are the family believers. Now watch what happens there. He tells us that we will reap what we sow but emphasizes when you sow good things, you will reap a good harvest. So you have to ask yourself, is that a law of God or a principle of spiritual life? And I'm going to suggest to you that while we refer to it as a law, it is more accurately described as a principle. How many of you have ever gardened? I don't know how your garden is, but I know how mine is. I have never, ever only reaped in my garden what I have sown. I didn't sow thistles. I didn't sow dandelions. I didn't sow all those weeds. In fact, I hate pulling weeds. I hate having to cultivate a garden. What I plant is all that I want to have grow. But there are other things that spring up that have to be dealt with. One person illustrated it this way. If you stick a fork in an electric outlet, bad things will happen. 
When I was in junior high, my mother had told me, I'd heard conventional wisdom, don't ever stick your finger in a light socket. No one ever told me why. So I had a little attic room that was my bedroom and there was a light socket up there, the bulb screwed in. And I thought, I wonder why I can't touch that. It's probably some good experience why they don't want me to be able to do that. So I unscrewed the light bulb, stuck my finger in there, and picked myself up from the wall on the other side of the room. <laughs> so if you, law of sowing and reaping, if you stick your finger in a light socket, you are going to regret it. How many would agree with me? Unless the breaker is off. Unless the outlet is damaged. So even then, it isn't always true. We're going to focus our attention in John chapter 9 and see again why Jesus was so frustrated with his disciples. It begins with this story, Master, who did sin? They see a blind man there, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And if there ever was a picture of religiosity, it's in that moment. The response of the Christ follower should not be who caused this, but it should be what can we do to change this? Hello? But the disciples have no empathy, no sense that there might be something they can engage in, something they can do. They just want to know who's to blame for the trouble they're in. And if your whole life focuses around who's to blame for the trouble in our world, we're never going to accomplish anything. Our first response should be, is there something God wants me to do about this situation, not whose fault it is? The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 18, what captures the mindset of the disciples, it's what the rabbis would normally have taught, that the individual's burden of sin is the cause for all of their suffering. Ezekiel says it this way, for every living soul belongs to me, the father as well as the son, both alike belong to me. The soul who sins is the one who will die. Suppose there's a righteous man who does what is just and right. That man is righteous. He will surely live, declares the sovereign Lord. And so we want it to be that way, don't we? We want it to make sense. We want one plus one to equal two. We want the formulas to work. We want to put in the quarter and get out the candy. We want That was a long time ago. You want to put in the $2.50 and get the peanuts. We want it all to work like a vending machine. But I think after you've been on a journey with Christ for any amount of time, you have to admit that the formulas don't always work. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Listen to what Jesus says, and it sets the tone for everything that happens in John chapter 9. He's going to demonstrate that there is more to the equation of suffering than simply sowing and reaping. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. The disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents is born blind? Listen to what Jesus said. Neither this man nor his parents have sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now watch, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one will work while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So what should the response be? 
There is darkness in this world. There is suffering in this world. But we as children of God carry the light of God's goodness and grace and have a message that this world needs to hear. Going through the two funerals a couple weeks ago, just to remind you, a man that it doesn't make sense to me, full of life, a lot to live for, doing good works for the kingdom. Got to hospital in time to watch him gasping for breath after a, after a normal surgery, a, a surgery that shouldn't have had any complications, watching his body turn gray, and after a few days, dies. Here's what I know. He doesn't want to come back. And sometimes we evaluate everything in our lives in the suffering of the moment rather than believing that God may want to do something to demonstrate his light in the midst of a world that's being swallowed by darkness. And that's what we need to look for. Where will the light shine? You see, one of the things that we have to grapple with is simply this. The idea that all human suffering is a result of sin. All human suffering is a result of sin. You say, are you saying everything that happens bad in my life is because I've sinned? No. I'm saying to you that when God created this world, he created it without sin. He created it without suffering. He created it without sickness, without disease. In fact, when you read through the Old Testament, the Garden of Eden is cited as a place of God's blessing and goodness. Again, in Ezekiel chapter 36, they shall say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. It was the place of prosperity and blessing and joy and goodness and the favor and presence of God. It isn't declared to be perfect, but it was declared by God to be very good, which means it's marked by the nature and character of God. Everything Adam and Eve needed was created there. Everything that they could want was provided for them. They only had one issue. Because to have free will and serve God, you have to have a choice or you're nothing more than a puppet. And God said, you can eat of all the trees of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. And the devil went to work right away, tempting and trying to deceive. And it tells us that Eve was deceived, partook of the fruit. And then she gave it to Adam, who partook of the fruit. And then they're banished from the garden. And that idyllic, beautiful world that was created by God in that garden is now destroyed and we have thorns and thistles and work by the sweat of our brow and pain in childbirth and on and on and on, the travesty that hit the world, not because God didn't create it right, but because we failed to obey the command that God gave. And the Bible says that because of one man's sin, Adam, death passed on all men because all have sinned. Are you with me this morning? It wasn't created with it. We brought it in by our disobedience. It's a result of Adam's transgression. Second, not all human suffering is a result of personal sin. Not all human suffering is a result of personal sin. So I'm going to tell a story. 
I've had this happen on more than one occasion. A minister will sit down across the table from me and tell me that the only reason healing doesn't come is because we don't have enough faith. That if we had enough faith, healing would always come. And at that moment, I get self-anointed. Our son had cancer. People all over were praying. We had personal prayer with the director of world missions. Brother Triplett called and prayed. And you're going to tell me that not one church, not one believer anywhere on the planet had enough faith to believe for healing? There's a biblical word for that doctrine. It's called stupidos. That's Greek. At least it should be. Stupidos and ignoramos. Because that doesn't make sense. That's not fair. That's condemning. And the only people that proclaim that are people that are healthy. Because there's more to the story. He said, neither this man nor his parents, not all sin or not all suffering is the result of personal sin. Did we forget that Satan is the promoter of evil in this world, that we have a flesh nature that tends toward evil, but there is one that goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, that he is influencing and fanning the flames of evil all around us, and there's spiritual warfare to be engaged in to drive him back. In Acts chapter 5, when Ananias lied about how much money he had given to the church from the sale of his property, here's what Peter said, how is it that Satan has filled your heart? Here is someone who is listening to the voice of the devil. Satan fills his heart and he's tempted and responds to it because not only do we have a fallen nature, there's an evil one in this world trying to tempt us into doing the wrong thing. Jesus answered the night before he's betrayed, who will betray me? He said, it's the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. He dipped a piece of bread, gave it to Judas Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. You see, we're not the only ones sowing seed. The Bible gives us a parable in Matthew chapter 13 about a man, and it's a parable of the end of the age, and I get that, but the principle is still true. While he sowed good seed, his servant comes and says, I have found tares, and he says, the evil one has done this. So two principles to hold on to as we move into chapter nine. One is sin opened the door to all the suffering that's in the world. God didn't create it with that. And second, not all of your suffering is a result of your sin. Hello? So what do we do with that? All, I believe this to be true, all human suffering is an opportunity for God to be revealed. All human suffering is an opportunity for God to be revealed. 
when we look around at what's happening and say, why is this happening? Maybe we need to start with what does God want to do in the midst of this situation? Rather than looking for who caused this to happen, maybe we should start with what does God want to do to change this circumstance that I find myself in or people that I love and care for find themselves in? Why did this happen? That the works of God may be displayed You've heard me say this. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to keep saying it till I quit hearing the other. I do not in any fashion believe that everything happens for a purpose. Some things happen because we're stupid. <laughs> My wife hates that word. That will be edited out before second service. So I'm going to use it here. Some things happen because other people are stupid. Some things happen because people are evil. There are all kinds, and to say it happened for a purpose, that God had a purpose for all the horrific things that happened in our world, that tell the rape victim that it happened for a purpose, tell the abuse victim that it happened for a purpose, stand at the cemetery of a child who's been beaten to death and tell them that it happened for a purpose. I can't go there. I can't answer that. I can't give them that kind of condemnation. But what I can say to them is, I know a God who will put a purpose in everything that happens. Yeah. Amen. Those are not the same. No. Tell me that everything happens for a purpose. You mean God is in heaven looking down saying, I think I'll kill this one and not that one. I'll let this suffering go and not that one. We have our own responsibilities. The free will of man, the evil of man's heart is at work in our world. Satan is fanning the flames of evil and some things happen because the devil still has free course to seek whom he may devour. But I'm telling you, I believe a God that has never faced a situation that he says, I don't know what to do with this. I serve a God that's never looked at a situation saying that's too broken to redeem. I serve a God who looks at every situation and never says, I don't think there's any way out of this. I'm telling you that we serve a God that in the midst of your situation that seems to make no sense we have a God who will put a purpose in the middle of things that make no sense to you God puts a purpose in everything God's miracle is going to happen on chapter 9 a man is born blind now watch he's not the only man in Israel who's blind But here is a moment where God has chosen to step into a dark situation and demonstrate his glory, the works of God for a purpose. Has God neglected all of the others? No, I'm simply saying that you can't take John chapter 9 and say, this is what God wants to do in every situation. John chapter 9 is saying, in every situation, God wants the works of God to be displayed, and he's the one that will decide how that happens. His blindness was evidence of a broken world that God was going to use to show the power of God. <laughs> now, did he have to do it the way that he did it? Did he have to do it on the Sabbath? I don't think the blind man would have cared to wait till the next day if he knew he was going to be healed. If you're blind and God said, we can't do it today, but I'll get to you tomorrow. How many would be okay with that? And then did he need to make a spectacle of the whole thing? Do you know there are times that someone was healed, Would Jesus didn't do a thing, he simply spoke a word? 
He's making a scene. Here is a blind man, and Jesus spits into the dirt, makes mud, and rubs the mud on his eyes. And I'm going to tell you right now, that is not the formula for healing. (laughs) He's making a statement. Here goes this guy. And people around have seen that. Mud is on his eyes, and he's being led to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. There's a whole message in that, that whenever God does anything for you, he's sending you. He's got a purpose for your life, and goes to the pool and washes off the mud. Everybody is seeing that. He's violating the Sabbath. He's getting in their face. He's challenging religiosity. He's challenging all of the things that matter to them that don't matter to God. And he washes it off in obedience, and he's healed. Now, now is when the fun starts. All of that was introduction. Because I want you to see what happens when God does reveal his character, his nature, his power, displays himself. And it's not all good. Not everybody likes it when God shows up. In fact, I think if God had his way in most of our churches all of the time, our attendances would begin to diminish (laughs) because not everybody likes it when God starts to move. And if you want him to move, you need to get ready for what he might confront in your life. Hello? There's going to be something in you he's going to deal with. So I'm reading the story. And what, what was the Pharisees' response? The Pharisees attack him. How religious How spiritually dead do you have to be to say, you can't let a blind man see on the Sabbath? What was the Sabbath? It was a day to keep holy. It was a day to worship God. It was a day to celebrate all of his goodness in creation. And you're telling me that you are ticked off because God opened the eyes of a blind man on the day that you've gathered to worship? That's how depraved and broken the religious system gets. Because religiosity would rather have its traditions than have the supernatural. We'd rather have our traditions than have the supernatural. And they're fighting him tooth and nail. The Bible says the second time they summoned the man who'd been born blind. I love this story. I could, I could preach all day on this. It's just such a great story. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man that healed you is a sinner. And I love this. What did he say? Well, there's a sinner or not, I don't know. <laughs> this is shouting ground. One thing I do know, give me all your doctrine, give me all your theology, give me all your violations, give me all your religious traditions. Here's what I know. I once was blind, but now I see. Say whatever you want. But yesterday, I couldn't see you. The day before, I couldn't see you. And this man that I just met that you have condemned put mud on my eyes. And now I can see. And I am thankful. I don't care what you say. I'm thankful what God, for what God has done. We should rejoice in that. 
And then watch what he says to them. They hurled insults at him. Do you see how ridiculous this is? A blind man sees and they're insulting him. And he says, and here's what God's trying to do in the revelation to the Pharisees. Do you know that Jesus came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? He will try to redeem religious people. Religious people need Jesus too. And the blind man says to them, one of the most insightful statements in this chapter, you are this fellow's disciple, we're disciples of Moses. The man says, now that is remarkable. I just feel like the Holy Ghost came on him. And he kind of straightened up and said, are you listening to yourselves? You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to godly, the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of, the man of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They missed their day. Now, I'm going to get a little more ornery here. What was that? <laughs> but I'm going to pick on the parents. If there were ever cowards on planet Earth, it's the blind man's parents. They come to him and say, is this your son who healed his eyes? And they said, that is our son. He was blind. Now he sees we have no idea how it happened. You sissies. <laughs> you cowards. Would you just, how many of you are parents? Imagine, or grandparents, I'd be even more intense as a grandparent. Imagine you give birth to a child and you raise a child that's blind and all the challenges that go with that. And this son grows up is now an adult has been blind all of his life and somebody comes by and puts mud on his eyes and he has sight restored and I'm going to tell you it's more than a miracle of seeing because you talk about or read about people of their sight restored there's a whole therapy they have to go through in connecting what they see with what their brain interprets it's a whole cognitive development and, and rehabilitation that has to happen. And it's instant. All that happens in a moment. He can see. It makes sense. He can respond. If that were my kid and you were attacking the person that healed him, let's just say we're going to have trouble. I'm going to be in line with him. I'm going to take on the whole religious establishment. I'm going to get in your grill but they were so afraid of the religious powers, they didn't want to be kicked out. And I know the price that would be paid for that. When you, I was thinking the other day, if you want to stir the pot, you better be ready for the pot to splash back on you. Not everybody appreciates that. 
And I can testify to that in personal experience. Not everyone appreciates that. But in this case, when religiosity flared its, 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 its head and said, we are, we're going to cast him out, they didn't want to experience that. Their whole social economic structure was built around the synagogue. And they said, we have no idea what happens. And I would say to you, I've watched it happen in other ways. I've watched children who as adults find Jesus and are delivered from drugs, alcohol, ungodliness, and parents who would rather have them not be a Pentecostal charismatic and still in their sin than to have them believe what we believe and be delivered. I'm not making that up. I'm telling you, I've seen it, where they want them pulled back. They'd rather have them broken than delivered the way they were delivered. These parents are cowards. Don't be that kind of parent. Stand up and defend. But then we come to the blind man's faith. And I want you to watch this progression. The crowd is confused, and the crowd's always confused. It's always confused. In the political processes of our day, <laughs> there, are the, there is the extreme right, and there's the extreme left, and then there's the muddy middle. Most people aren't aware and don't want to be aware of what's going on. And it's left by the extremes to try to arm wrestle out of it. So they're watching what's happened. They see this guy who's seeing, and some claimed that, yes, that was a blind man. Other ones said, no, it just looks like him. But he had to insist, I am the man. No, you're not him. You just look like him. No, I was there when it happened, so I guess I ought to know. I was the blind man. I'm the man who was sat here. I'm the man who couldn't see, and now I can see. And they say, how were your eyes opened? And he said, the man they call Jesus. <laughs> the man they call Jesus came to me, put mud on my eyes, told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked, and he said, I don't know. First stage of development of faith in this man's life is, all I know is a man named Jesus healed me. That's all I know. And God is not satisfied if all you know is what you've experienced. There's got to be an interaction with God himself. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. So now he's gone from a man named Jesus to he says, I suppose he's a prophet. And you can see his faith growing. He's beginning to understand something's taken place here. So he's not just a man named Jesus. He is a prophet. Then he replies, when they tell him the sinner that we've already touched on, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I don't know what your story of faith is. 
doing research on evangelicalism and deconstruction and deconversion and people that are walking away from faith. There are all these theological arguments that go on, this theodicy trying to match the goodness of God with the suffering in the world. You get all these intellectual debates and people that say, I don't see any evidence for God. I don't believe God exists. I don't believe any of that. Let me tell you, when it gets down to the bottom line, I was blind. I was him. And now I see. Is there anyone in the house? You can't take that away from me. I was broken and now I'm healed. He, he met me when I was at the lowest of lows and he didn't look down and say, get up. He knelt beside me and held me and poured into me and the balm of Gilead healed the brokenness of my heart, healed the wounds that were on the inside and when I couldn't forgive, he helped me forgive. When I couldn't rejoice, he put a song in my heart. When I was broken, he put the pieces together. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. That's what I know. Don't tell me there is no God because I met him and I know what he's done for me. Jesus heard, <laughs> I'm trying to behave. I'm, tell my wife, I'm really trying to behave right now. <laughs> Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And you know what Jesus did? He came to him. Sometimes you need religion to kick you out so that Jesus can get to you. When religion kicked him out, Jesus said, now I think he's ready to meet me. Sometimes we have to get rid of what we thought we knew. Sometimes we have to get rid of what we thought we'd experienced. Sometimes we need to get rid of the way we did it 50 years ago. And when you get kicked out by religious people, I can tell you what, Jesus will be standing next to you. He will find you where you are because when you're stripped of all the religious props that have held you up, now you're ready to lean on the everlasting arms of Jesus. Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of God? Who is he, sir? Tell me <laughs> so that I may believe in him. It wasn't enough to know that he was Jesus. It wasn't enough to know that he could see. It wasn't enough that he knew that Jesus was a prophet. He had to know that he was the son of God. And when Jesus said, I that speak to you am he, he believed in him. You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him because that is the goal of the manifestation of God. Listen to me. It's not that every blind person see. It's that every broken person has a chance to worship. That every man, woman, boy, and girl on the planet has a chance to meet Jesus, the son of God. That's what we ought to be built about in the midst of their darkness. What can we do? The only thing we can do is bring Jesus to them. Because when they meet him, we want to we get a raise. We want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. We want all of our problems to go away. And what Jesus wants are opportunities to let light shine in the darkness. And for broken people 
to see the Jesus who can open the eyes of the blind. I'm absolutely convinced. I'm not going to keep going back to this, but I'm absolutely convinced. You can't take this away from me that God wants to build a lighthouse in the Drake Park neighborhood and that Brian Church should be part of that happening. And I'm not giving up on that because it's not about building a building. It's not about counting numbers. It's not about any of that. There's a dark place in the heart of Des Moines. And if there ever was a place in Des Moines that needed a place preaching the life-saving story of Jesus, it's in that part of our city. And I'm believing that God's gonna raise that up and whatever happens, it's not about being a success. It's about preaching the gospel and seeing men and women and find Jesus as Lord and Savior. So listen to what he goes on to say. For judgment, I have come into the world. Why did Jesus say he came? For judgment, he has come into the world. So that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. (laughs) The Pharisees who are with him chafed, What? Like a two-year-old. Have you ever talked to a child and pointed, what? I didn't do anything. What? 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 Are we blind too? I think Jesus smirked a little. That's in Pilcher's paraphrase. He said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Your guilt remains. And that's a call to us. Every one of us have blind spots. And we need Jesus to give us sight. So let me wrap it up together this way. What about sowing and reaping? I do believe in the law of sowing and reaping. I believe that if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. I believe if you sow the spirit, you'll reap life everlasting. But harvest day won't be fully realized till we get to heaven. That's when it will, are you hearing me? That's when it'll all be settled. But between here and now, you need to sow good seed. But there are evil people that are sowing bad seed. And there's a devil that's fertilizing bad seed. But we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So rather than looking at suffering and saying, what did they sow? Rather than looking at your circumstance and saying, where did I sow wrong? Live your life sowing good. And you'll find God on your side. But maybe rather than asking why, Maybe we should start asking what? Rather than asking, why did you let this happen? (laughs) Maybe we ought to start asking, okay, God, here it is. Now, what do you want to do? Now, what do you want to do? And when we say that, blind men will see. Lepers will be cleansed. The dead will be raised. Marriages can be put back together with that question. Families can be redeemed with that question. 
men, women, boys, and girls can find new life in Christ with that question, now what? Now what? I know we want a faith that operates according to formulas and you plug it all in. But I hope you can see that it's not always as simple as that. I'm going to sow good seed knowing that I'll give an account for that in the day of judgment. But I also know that's not any guarantee that there won't be tares sown in my field. But God, I said, but God can bring light in a dark place. And if you're in a place of suffering and pain that doesn't make sense, (laughs) throw away all your formulas and wait for Jesus to come by. And he will bring you through. Let's stand together.
I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed just for a moment. I feel like I believe God's in the room. And I don't know anything. No one's talked to me. I don't have an email I'm referring to. But I believe there's somebody here, somebody's here in the middle of a storm that doesn't make sense to you. That has been confusing to you. And you've been asking yourself, God, what have I done wrong? What did they do wrong? What's caused this? And I believe that God wants you to change your focus from how did we get here to God, how is this a moment that you'll be glorified? Show me how you'll be glorified. And I want to pray for you. If that's you're in that place this morning, would you just lift your hand and signify that you need the help of the Lord this morning? Yes, thank you, thank you. In the balcony, yes, thank you. And around, thank you, yes, 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 thank you, yes. Yes. Lord, you see the hands that are lifted this morning. We're thankful that you're the God who shines light in the midst of our darkness. And God, would you help us in the midst of our trouble, rather than looking for who's to blame, focus on how you will be glorified. Knowing that when you are glorified, if there's correction that needs to happen in us, you'll bring that to us. If there's an attack of the enemy that needs to be stopped, you will do that. But, but help us put our focus on how can you, in the midst of this dark situation, how can you be glorified and give us the faith to trust that. Ask in Jesus' name. And everyone that loves him said, amen, amen, amen. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Glad you're here this morning. Let's believe God for great things. Turn and greet someone. Shake their hand. Let them know you're glad they're here. Let's believe God for victory.